today, it is very essential that we look back on what has led us to this point. Last week, you may recall, it was, it was a bit in your face, James was. Last year, James, or excuse me, last week, James made a, essentially a condemnation of the oppressing people in the church and the world at that time, essentially the unsaved within the church that were oppressors, or not just within the church, could be within the community. But um, we have what we have to keep in mind in this, in the letter that James wrote to the church is that the, the Christian life is one of transformation, not just one of information, but it is essentially a transforming day to day to day. We are changing. We are growing to be more and more set apart from the world. We are being transformed by what we hear, transformed by what we hear God tell us in the word. So in looking back at last week and the past weeks in our journey through James, hopefully we're not using that as just some, um, some information to enlighten our minds, but that it goes deeper than that, that these, these are seeds that are planted, as we'll see in, in the scripture today. These are seeds that are planted that grow and help us to become more and more set apart. Okay, so it's a transformation thing. And remember that the overreaching message of James is faith in action. That your works support your statements, your beliefs. That there's a follow-through with the information you're getting. That there's a follow-through with what you know is obedience to God. With what you know God would want you to do. His will, his desires in your life. Okay, so James is telling you, start doing, get, let there be a follow through. So in, in this week, James went from calling out the arrogant rich, right? Last week, if you may remember, he called out those arrogant rich. So here's what I want to do. Let me, let me read the last week's verses, okay? The passage from last week, because this week we're in verse seven. There's a word there that starts therefore. So therefore, as I've said, I've tried to remind you, we need to know what therefore is. Therefore, it's a continuation of what he just said. Okay? So let's go back to chapter 5, verse 1. I want to read through that before we go much deeper into this. He says this, come now, you rich people. That's not very kind of an approach, right? Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay you have withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You live luxuriously on earth, and you've indulged yourselves. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. That doesn't seem very loving. And he's not trying to be loving per se. That tough love is there. He is trying to call it out like it is. And in that church, there are people, and in the church uh, universal, there are people that take advantage of what God has given to them. Okay? There are people that have not only taken advantage of what God's given them, but taking advantage of others in the process. Ultimately, the underlying evil there, or the source of evil, is the love of money that he's calling out. But there's so many more applications to what he's saying. And then he goes on and he kind of redirects his focus from those arrogant rich people. And he, then he says this, Therefore, verse 7 as we are today, brothers and sisters, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Maybe these brothers and sisters are those that are being oppressed, those that are being taken advantage of, those who are struggling and suffering right now because of those oppressors in the world, even within the church, even those believers that, that call themselves followers of Jesus. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the earthly, or excuse me, it receives the early and late rains. You must also be patient. Before I get into that too much more, let me pray over what God has, has for us right now. Father, right now, your word, may it speak above all. Father, may our hearts be as receptive as they've ever been. May we that struggle, we that have our hidden struggles and sufferings in our life, and those that are more obvious to others, Father, may, may the patience that you, have, that you have illustrated for us be something we intentionally strive for and we intentionally seek after every day. Father, may your word speak in Jesus' name. Amen. One of, the, uh, one of the most common things that I find myself as a father trying to teach my children is patience. Uh, every day, I've probably said it multiple times a day, some days more than others, but I try to teach my child or my children patience. And they come to me, Daddy, me want milk, more milk, Daddy. Okay, honey, just a second. What do you say? Peas, okay, just a second. And they're so sweet, and as soon as I say just a second, they get mad. Not more, right? Right now. Oh, right, just a second. Be patient, child, it's okay. The milk's not going away or what have you, right? Or whatever, you know, anything that they come for. Daddy, daddy, I want this. Daddy, will you go shoot basketball with me? Daddy, we do this. Just a second, sure. Okay, uh, right? That patience is not a natural thing. If, if anyone tells you that their child was just born with this natural patience, I think they're lying. Doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to us, right? It doesn't. And we know that teaching children to be patient, um, man, that, that tests our patience. Son, I just told you to be patient 20 minutes ago. Be patient, right? Wait, right? You want something else now? Okay. Remember that lesson we had on patience? Yeah, well, all right. 
Even as they get older, right, you think, well, they'll just get it in time. He's just learning. It's okay, right? And I've got to do this. One of the things I catch myself praying for, even at the dinner table, whenever we're blessing our food together as a family, Lord, just give us patience to deal with these children right now, right? It's what it is. We're trying to give out the food and they're screaming. They want a fork. They're mad because they don't have the same sippy cup as the other one. Oh, Lord, help us all, right? Patience. Patience. And that is something that is so um, applicable to everybody in the church right now. We have strived for patience. If it's not with little children, which is the most obvious thing, I think, for a lot of us, in our life, it's there. And with our coworkers, it's there. With the struggles that we have, that with what God has put in our lives, it's there. We all have patience that we need uh, probably an extra dose of in many different situations. I bet there's in your life right now, there's so many situations that you could point to that I would, I, God, I just wish you'd give me more patience with this. I wish you'd give me more patience with my mother or my sister. I wish you'd give me more patience with my friends or my coworkers. I wish you'd give me more patience. Yada, yada, right? We can point these things out. And I think in, in James, in this passage, just in these verses, he gives us three good scenarios, illustrations really, and Roger kind of brought some of those up. But there are applications, direct applications of those illustrations, of those people, of those scenarios into our lives. And there are three of them that kind of rise to the surface. And those three are to be patient when our circumstances are uncontrollable. We can't control those things around us. To be patient, and we're going to come back to each one of these, but to be patient when people are unchangeable and to be patient when your problems are unexplainable. Those three we're going to, eat, we're going to come back to in each one of these verses as we dive into what this kind of means, right? right? The very first verse, and Roger made a good point, and we need to keep this in mind. This is a essentially... Um, a, a, a um, appeal to those that have aching hearts just are almost in a sense of desperation for the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, right? And we are promised that in Scripture that the Lord shall return and then, especially at that time with the persecution they're facing, with the struggle the people of this time are facing, compared to us, we've got it made we don't struggle with getting by. We don't struggle with worried about being persecuted for what we believe. We don't struggle at all. And we probably very rarely ever say, oh, Lord, Lord, just please come back. Right? But in these situations, in this time, that is on the forefront of everyone's mind, especially with the recent death and resurrection of Christ, a lot of those in that time thought it would be within a generation of his ascension to heaven that Jesus would return. And we know time in Scripture is a lot different than time that we understand, and it's hard to grasp that. The at hand, the resurrection of Christ is at hand. We are in the at hand phase, and we always say he, it, is, it is a process that we're in. 
At any rate, that's a different sermon in itself. But we have to keep in mind. Uh, all right, I guess in, in, my, in my experience in ministry, the only times that I hear people say, I just wish the Lord would come on back is whenever times of struggle and pain and heartache are happening, right? Whenever things in the world just see, seem awful, right? Oh, I can't believe that's happening. The Lord's just going to come on back and get us off from this, right? We always uh, apply that to a sense of struggle or pain and heartache whenever, we sh whenever that's there. If you've heard people say that or if you say that yourself, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, man, life is so good. God has blessed me so much. Everything's just working so good. God, you are so good. I wish you'd come back and get me right now. Don't work like that, right? We want God to come on back and get us when times are tough. Not when times are easy, right? And imagine if you were in the situation then. Man, times are tough. So in the... Uh, appeal that he's making to these people in this letter, he's saying, look, I know you are, you are itching and aching and just you, your heart's aching for God, for the Lord to return. I know that. Be patient. Be patient. Okay? So his appeal begins with that. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient in the Lord's coming. Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says, men of Galilee, and this is, this is referencing that, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This is after the ascension of Jesus. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This glorious return. It's the literal return of Jesus to earth as king, as a conquering king. He goes from a return of suffering servant. He was there first when he for his first appearance on the earth, right? And his second coming will be as a conquering king. His first coming is in the most humble of circumstances, and his second coming is going to be one where armies are at his side. It's going to be this glorious conquering uh, return of the Lord, and that's promised, and that's in the scripture. Okay? And that's a whole other sermon series in itself, and it goes a lot in there. And I know a lot of you know more about that than others, but let's keep that right here until we have a chance to go deeper into it. Because right now, that's his appeal as it begins, right? And he goes on in verse 7, and he says this. Don't you see how the farmer, and he uses the, the, throughout all of the Bible, the illustration of agriculture is huge. Because that's what they did. That's how they lived. Everyone was in agriculture. Right? Everyone. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earthly and the late rains. Don't you see the first thing that I said earlier, first note, when your circumstances are uncontrollable, when your circumstances are uncontrollable, there are going to be times that, there's, that in your life the things around you you have no control of as much as you want to, this, this is just the way it is, and I can't control it. But look at the illustration of the farmer. Knowing that, hey, it hasn't rained, and the rains aren't here, and I don't know if it's going to rain. 
But do the farmers still sow seeds? Absolutely. Why does he sow seeds? Because he's seen in the past, year after year, that even though it's been absent of rain, that God will provide blessings, ultimately. That it's going to rain at some point. Therefore, I'm going to sow seeds. I'm going to keep doing what I know I should do because I've learned from previous blessings that have been given to me. In your life, don't give up. Don't fall down and sit down. Oh, well, my, you know, God's never going to give me what I want. God's never going to bless me. I, I just, woe is me attitude. And you've seen time after time that God shows up, that his blessings are sure. He says, wait patiently. If you're in a situation you can't control, if you're in a time that you have no, you know, have no assurance of what tomorrow brings, and you're at the will of everyone else, God says, wait patiently. The word that's used in this is ekdonomai. In Greek, it, says, it means to look with anticipation. To anticipate it's coming. You don't know when. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how his blessings are going to be given to us. We don't know how God's going to provide, but we know he will. We know in his own way he will provide. And then he repeats it again to make sure we listen in verse 8. Verse 8. You also be patient. Be patient the second time. And he says, strengthen your hearts or establish your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. He, re he repeats that. The Lord's coming is near. And then on verse 9, it says, Brothers and sisters, he appeals again, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. And then in verse 10, in verse 10 he says, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Use that as an example. He references the prophets because they, for years and years, as you know, if anyone knows the Old Testament prophets, for years and years they would speak and preach and share the news of God, right? They would preach to people. It's like talking to a wall, but they kept preaching. They kept preaching. So James gives this illustration knowing they would understand <laughs> to be patient, and that's the second one, when people are unchangeable. Be patient when people are unchangeable. He changes the illustration from that of a farmer to that of a prophet, right? Prophets had to prophesy and they would speak to these unbelievers for years and years. Isaiah preached for 60 years and people still rejected him, right? The rejection was there, but he knew you, there are going to be people that you can't change. There are people in your life, and I say this right now, and I'm sure you can visualize who they are. There are people in your, in your life that you just can't change. You feel like you have no hope with them. I don't even bring anything up anymore because they're hopeless. They're a hopeless case. I can't do it, right? We feel that way. Maybe it's your spouse, your children, or siblings, brothers, sisters. Maybe, maybe even parents. Maybe even your coworkers. Even your closest friends. They will never change. 
They're a hopeless cause. It's like talking to a wall. Heck, why would I even change them if I, if I struggle with changing myself? Right? We struggle with that reality because that's what we really say in knowing what it is. Ultimately, we see this as a temptation for limiting the power of God. We are tempted to distrust in that. Right? And that's when we really need to grasp onto this thing of having patience. Having patience. This lack of patience leads to doubt. This doubt that we have in ourselves, I can't do it. This doubt we have in God changing then. God has you in where you are in this moment, in this time, in your life, in their life, to be his mouthpiece. To be the person that continues to, to continues to badger, continues to drive home the good news of Jesus Christ. To continue to live a life in front of that person that that person would want. There are no there is no such thing as a hopeless cause when God is involved. So therefore, my brothers and sisters, be patient. Be patient because the Lord will give you the right time and the right place and the right words to say if you are obedient persevere. Don't give up on people. Verse 11, behold. Behold. Or as it says in CSBC, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He gives this reference to Job. You know the story of Job. This is a man that was a man that persevered. Job faced un, just, just undescribable problems. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. Everything he had. He lost his family. He lost everything. And he was left with the question of why. Why? So the third one is when you're... Be patient when your problems are unexplainable. Job couldn't point to a reason why. This is the example he gave us, that James knew that these brothers and sisters in Christ would know very well what Job went through. He couldn't figure out anything, any reason why God allowed him to go through the struggles and the pain that God placed on him. He lost everything. Literally, he lost everything he had, but he still persevered. Why? God did not grant us the ability, thank you, Lord, God didn't grant us the ability to understand his mind. He knew we couldn't. He didn't grant us the ability to understand the why behind everything that happened. Or the why, God, why didn't this happen? He didn't give us that ability. He didn't give us, naturally, the patience of Job, as you've heard that. You've probably heard the patience of Job. He, does, he doesn't give us that. And that's, that that's causes us to hurt. It causes us to struggle. But the word for patience in this is a bit different. Instead of it meaning being patient with people, this means being patient with God. 
to be patient with God. This, the word is hupomeno. And that means to remain under two different pieces together. Hupo and mino. To remain under, under pressure. To remain under a weight, right? To remain under a pressure. That word means to be, even though the pressure of the world, the pressures of the why, the pressures of understanding what God would have for us and why God would do this, you remain under that. Because ultimately, this, and for Job, in the same scenario, that sometimes these tests of life lead to the testimony that you have to share about how good God is and how he pulled you through this struggle. There is no testimony without the test, right? You may have heard that. And that test you may be going through right now, the struggle that you may have right now that God has put you in, that God has given you this awful scenario in your life, and you struggle, why? Why now, or why this, or why not this? What? Why, Lord? God is in control. Be patient. Because ultimately, what you're going through, God's going to get the glory if you persevere under the weight and the, the pressure that you have. He, um, in verse 12, he goes on, and it feels like a bit of a switch here. And actually, some translations have this as a different section altogether. And verse 12 stands alone. But I want to share it today as well. He says this, but above all, or in the CSB, it says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. This verse reminds us of why we should not only be patient, we should not only persevere, but we should strive to have the character of God. Strive to reflect the character that we know God has. This yes mean yes, no mean no, swearing by, right? And you hear this, and it's something that's still around today, and this, this was happening, that a, a person would give someone their word, and then I, I promise you that I'll do this. I swear on my dog's life or something like that. You hear it say it all the time, especially in children. I swear on this or that. And, and adults as well. And this is the scenario. It's like, all right, you're swearing on these things which have no grounds at all. And then you're lying about it. Is that character that God would have? Are we striving to live and to ultimately reflect the character of God? Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. I've got a relative that it can do anything. Literally, I would call this person up and say, hey, I need your help with this, what I need to do, right? Hey, I need your help with these things, what I need to do. Hey, will you come help me do these things? And this person can do, is probably the most talented person that I know. But at the same time, this person is one of the most unreliable people that I know because they would give me their word and I'd be waiting and ultimately that person not follow through, right? It doesn't matter how good, how talented, and how amazing you are at certain things. If your yes doesn't mean yes and your no doesn't mean no, 
how, and you are a Christian especially, you are in the church, you are damaging the church, you are a, a poor reflection of God's character. Okay? So he is calling those people out. If your word, your word means more than anything. Do not be one that is not uh, trustworthy. Do not be one that's not trustworthy. Strive towards, every day, strive towards improving your integrity. As I finish, I want to go back to a, uh, a ver- and go back to verse 8. There's something that continued to jump out at me and I wanted to I wanted to ensure that we grasp on this. Uh, the, the, uh, the word that stands out in some verses, in verse 8, it says, You must also be, pa- be patient in the second line. It says, Strengthen your hearts. Some translations, Establish your hearts. You must, we must establish our hearts, Right? to establish your heart because the times are tough right because you're struggling you must persevere don't get make don't go work out and make your body strong right don't go don't simply go eat healthy and be a healthier you because whenever that time gets tough you can withstand it it's not talking to any about that the focus is our hearts establish our hearts the word in that is the reason which means to strengthen to make firm to give a stance and to prepare and to fix it in a way that is ready ready your hearts ready your hearts you see this thing patience it seems like this ungraspable thing that we can't achieve but patience we, we need to understand is not the absence of anxiety Not the absence of worrying about tomorrow. Not the absence of worry. But instead it's it's an action. It's an action of choosing a choice to trust God. It's action of choosing to trust God as this generous giver that is the source of all things good that regardless of the struggle I have, I'm going to choose, be patient, I'm going to choose to trust God in my trials. I'm going to choose and make this conscious choice, right, that's not natural to us. We don't, we don't grow up in the world automatically being patient. We are not born with that instinctive thing that's there called patience. It is something that is learned. And to learn something, you must choose to be obedient to it. We choose to be patient. I choose to trust that God's in control. And it's not easy at first, but it's something that we strive towards and we grow towards. So in the times of trials, in the times of struggling that we have, we must choose to trust God. Right now, I know there are people here today. Right now, I know there are people listening in today that have struggled, that have struggled with patience that have struggled with being, <laughs> to, with being a Christian, We struggle with reality, am I even a Christian at all? Struggled with reaching out to God. Today, we know that, that we've lo- we're loved so much more, so much more than all of, our, all of our questions and all of our worries about tomorrow, that that trustworthiness that we can have can overcome it all. 
I know there are people here today and listening in that have baggage that have brought in that are worried to death about tomorrow. This thing called patience is something we can't grasp. God can grant that. But the only way God can grant that is if we surrender our hearts and we become more and more like him. We surrender our hearts to the fact that Jesus was given for us on our behalf. He came and he died because we are forever separated without him. And God loved us enough to give us Jesus Christ. That if we believe that God gave us Christ, Jesus the Christ, to come and die for us on our behalf, we will be saved. We believe in our hearts, confess with our mouth. And we commit to Christ not just as a Savior, thank you for saving us, but to surrender him as Lord. Father, you are my Lord. I will be obedient to you and I trust what my tomorrow brings because I know that you are guiding my life. That's where patience comes from. Regardless of the suffering you may be going through right now, God is in control. God is in control.